I was doing some work this week, and I thought, oh, I have just the idea. You know, political season can turn a stomach, can it not? Um, uh, it kind of makes you want to fast from Facebook, right? You're like, whoa, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying pray before you post, uh, and maybe ask a friend, is this wise? Um, there is a lot of voices clamoring for our attention. There's a lot of people, and it feels like the further we go, the louder it gets. The further we go, the more divisive it feels, the more polarized we're getting. And it's like it can't get here soon enough, right, to get this election over with. And I think maybe the discouraging thing as I talk and uh, is that it doesn't feel like... Um, well, that anyone's too excited about either one. And, and, and so um, we're in this place. So I have a dear friend, uh, Starla Halfman, showed me this picture that she painted. And so we have a, a resident artist, Starla, who this is her day job. And, and, and mind you, she's not political. In fact, she drew something or, or painted something that was distinctly apolitical. She wasn't trying to take a position, but like a good artist, and we all need to figure out what our canvas actually is, what do we do with our angst? What do we do with that which we feel on a deep level, which we struggle with? How do we process the things that we just are stumbling over? How do we get that out of us? I think the Lord has invited us into a prayer. The Lord's invited us into being a response. But there is something that all of us need a canvas for. And so when I was thinking about today, and today I want to talk about something particular that is not just the good shepherd, because Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, but specifically the voice of the good shepherd. Because when we're locked into a culture where the voices are getting louder and the, and, and, and the rhetoric is getting more devices, divisive, the question I have is, how do you hear? What voice do you listen to when it's getting louder and more divisive and everyone's clamoring for, your, clamoring for your vote, for your money, for your attention, for your followership, more and more? What is the voice that you hear that guides you in the midst of all of those other voices? Anyone have a name for this piece? Anyone want to take a run at what you would name this piece? Starla at first didn't have a name, but one came to her. I just wanted to see if anyone wanted to try and name it. You've got um, Hillary and Donald, and um, uh, there's some overlap. Uh, anyone have a stab at a name? A friend named it um, Bad Hair Day for America which was just poetic and brilliant and perfect. And so let's close in prayer, right? <laughs> Starla Halfman, ladies and gentlemen, this is her piece. And um, I think it's wonderful. Uh, if, you, uh, if you shop at Anthropology and it looks mildly familiar, she has a lot of her works on some of their household items and their, their plates and pitchers and bowls and things like that, but she also has work online. Uh, yeah, her day job. A working artist and you're not starving. We love that. Yay, Austin. <laughs>
So what do we do when the voices among us are so loud? What is the one voice that we hear? Over the last several weeks, in fact, summer, we have been looking at uh, these self-defining statements that Jesus made about who he is. And Jesus makes several self-defining statements throughout the book of John where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Or he says, I am the bread of life. Or he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or I am the true vine. And all of these self-defining statements, if true, change everything. In fact, the way I like to say it is, in the name of our series, is I am changes who I am. And so... I want to investigate what that means because if I am trying to follow after Christ or if I have been wed with Christ, if I've invited him in, that's an identity statement. It changes who I am, not just what I do, but it changes who I am at a core level. And I think that's significant. And so tonight he made the statement that I want to look at out of John chapter 10, where he says, I am the good shepherd. To which I would ask, how is Jesus being a good shepherd change who I am? Well, I'm glad you asked. Now, I would say this before we get to the scripture test. And and if you have, uh, if you want to just jot some notes, we have some bulletins that I would encourage you just to pull out and maybe write some things down. I want to make three kind of statements about what it means to be a shepherd. And then I want to ask a couple of questions wrestling with. Now, when we talk about shepherding, I think it's almost comical, or at least it's a little bit lost on me because I was born in an, and raised in an urban environment, that the notion of shepherding feels foreign to me. It feels almost metaphorical, but in Jesus's day, this would have felt totally relatable. But for us, in an urban environment, who don't grow up, I don't really know people with livestock. I don't There were no majors at my university that you can major in shepherding. Uh, You know, I don't, if I'm honest, really even like wearing wool, especially in in Austin. So it just feels like, yeah, shepherding, what's the big deal? And so we lack kind of a a tangible or, or, or a concrete way to relate to Jesus as the good shepherd, except on flannel graph world or Sunday school land, where we talk about these sort of stories and Jesus with a, maybe a sheep wrapped around around his shoulders or something like this that just feels like I don't get it um, so it lacks you know what, what's the picture then Jesus just sort of hovering around all of these sheep which I think maybe the best comparison we, we, we come up with then is like the helicopter parent you know making sure that the you know hovering around making sure that the sheep eat the right thing or don't get treated poorly or get left out or left behind like a helicopter parent but I actually think it's not about that at all. The role of the shepherd is simply threefold, to simply guide, to feed, and protect the sheep. See, actually, there was some training that went in, day in and day out. They would be trained by the voice of the one who was calling out. They would be trained by the shepherd's voice. They would now, because he was trained to lead them, be able to feed them in green pastures. He was also the one that would administer care in the event that that the sheep got hurt or protection in the event of wild animals. But there was something that was just beautiful about the sheep and shepherd relationship. Now, for their part, the sheep were simply just along for the ride, but theirs was to listen, right? To trust and to follow. And let me just say this. We're the sheep in the story. 
So the role of the sheep is as important as the role of the shepherd. So we listen, we trust, and we learn to follow. So here's what I want to do as we look at this passage tonight out of John chapter 10. I think there's three things that we can kind of mine, and it's simply knowing the voice, trusting the voice, and ultimately becoming the voice ourselves. John chapter 10, let's read that together. Um, begin this way. Um, Very truly, I say to you Pharisees, now Pharisees, he's talking to religious leaders. They had been kind of creating essentially hoops to jump through. They had been creating a pen, if you will, using the agricultural livestock analogy, and creating a very specific way in which you can gain access. And so he calls out religious leadership on how they were caring for God's flock. And so very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his sheep his own by name and leads them out. So if any of you are feeling a kind of vagueness from God, a distance from God, a kind of dryness from God, let me just be clear. The scripture teaches us that he knows us by name, and he actually is calling. Our ability, our capacity to hear the voice is up to us. But when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Go ahead. Next one. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. They did not know what they did not know. He called them out, he confronted them, and they're like, huh, what? Hmm? He's... Does, does he have a flock? Is, is he a part of the 4-H club? Because are, are we talking about what? What do we? What are, first thing I just want to highlight is that we can become the voice, and that is that we begin to assume the role of the shepherd. And, oh, excuse me. Uh, that we become the, uh, the voice. And um, Jesus is speaking of himself as the good shepherd. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. Later in this same chapter, he even says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen, and I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice. He keeps saying this over and over again. The sheep of the other pen is the Gentiles. It's not just Jesus for the Jews. It's Jesus for everyone of every class. And so, again, the theme he keeps saying is, listen to my voice. Now, I do not have a lot of experience with with pigs, but I've got one pig story. You ready? A couple years ago, I'm dropping Buren off at a friend's house over in Westlake, and it was a nice home. It was a gated home, and um, we kind of buzz in, and the gate opens to be greeted by the family's big dog, who's really excited to greet. Not much of a watchdog, but quite a good licker, Um, but he was followed by Daisy. The like 250 pound pot belly pig that is a household animal 
And so you've got this beautiful manicured home with these two animals greeting us as we drive down. Now the problem is, is that Daisy was getting agitated. She was doing a lot of snorting, a lot of grunting. And as she walked into the house, because she's a house pet, this huge, enormous animal was so bothered because I was there. Like, my voice wasn't a familiar one. And, and somehow she was getting so agitated till Jan could just calm her and say, Daisy, it's okay, go lay down. And Daisy would kind of go off in sort of a huff, kind of this snorting rumble of, and, and go off and lay down, to which I'm like, I think I want a pig for a pet. This is kind of fun. But there was something about the familiarity of the voice that was a calming presence. So let me just ask you the question, do you know his voice? There's a lot of voices that are trying to sway your opinion. There's a lot of voices that are cultivating your convictions, your beliefs. There's a lot of voices that are after your vote and after your money and after your time. There's a lot of voices that will pursue us. How is it that we discern God's voice amidst all of the other voices so we know then what to do? See, I am changes who I am. And when we know who we are specifically in Christ, Identity always precedes purpose. Identity informs what we do. So when we begin to understand that, we understand that we, as we begin to listen, then we begin to learn to trust. And trusting the voice is simply understanding that there is no spiritual growth without being able to recognize the voice of the one in the desert calling out for all of the sheep to come to him, to listen to him, to lay down and, and by these waters. See, I, I think there's a lot of voices, but there's this one voice that we're able, to, it's like a frequency that we're able to tune into. Now, one thing that I began understanding as I'm kind of diving into this as a city slicker is that when you have a herd of sheep, you don't lead them from behind. You lead them from in front. Cattle get, get led from behind, and they kind of steer themselves, and you just sort of like kind of keep the boundaries going, but you lead from behind. But with a sheep, the shepherd is always out in front, leading them, not driving them. And so I think God wants our relationship to look similarly, be the one hearing the voice and us following rather than having to be driven to hear and obey. I think it's tempting then for us to ask the question, especially when we have big decisions to make. You know, what is God's will for this huge decision? Um, what is God's will for, to, to happen in this? And we're always sitting there trying to figure out what is God's will or what does God think about these things? You know, maybe we need to make a move or a job change or praying if, if she or he is the one or trying to make these pivotal life decisions. And it's really hard to hear God in the life decisions to which I would say, Jesus is sitting there going, follow me. The good shepherd is, listen to my voice in the mundane. 
Listen to my voice in the small. Listen to my voice in all of the little things. The only way that we begin to recognize God's voice in the major decisions is when we begin to adhere to his voice in the small ones. And so it's not God being a part of three or four major life decisions. It's God being a part of a thousand daily obediences. It's a day turning into a month, turning a month into a year, and the year becoming a year of learning to walk in the will and the alignment of God. That's what it means to be sheep who trust the voice of the one calling out. And so then it begs the question, how are we doing at trusting the voice? Well, what does it sound like when we get spoken to? I think he's speaking all the time, but like a frequency, we can dial it out. So when you have kind of that initial check in your spirit, maybe it's a voice of hesitation. Maybe it's a prompt saying, for no good reason, you should stop and ask if they need help. And you're like, you can rationalize all that stuff away. I'm late. I don't know them. I could get hurt. They, they, they won't appreciate whatever. Or you can learn to yield to the inner voice of what I think God is trying to speak so that two things can happen. One, God's creation can be cared for, and two, our hearts can be made new and resensitized. I'm sitting here looking around, and um, uh, Terry, I want to have you come eventually. I'm not having you now. <laughs> Terry and I sat at coffee, and she looked at me as not someone who's entrepreneurial. She's artistic. But there was something she could not do not not do and that was she began an organization called be lydia which was just a response to human trafficking because she kept reading enough stories and enough reports and enough of the tragedy and saying i've got to bring some awareness i've got to align myself and so um, there are things that i think god is speaking to us like he's reading our mail but he's calling us out. And it's our prerogative to hear the voice, to trust the voice, and to respond to the voice. Thanks for saying yes to the voice, Terry, and sorry for calling you out. So how are we doing at trusting the voice leading us? See, once we know it and we trust it, I think it begins to change who we are. I am changes who I am. And so it begins to change our convictions. It begins to change, I think, our motivations. It changes our desires. It changes our attitudes. When we are being more conditioned by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I think there's something that captures us. And it's not promotion. And it's not square footage. And it's not status. It's, it's, it's compassion. It's generosity. It's hospitality. It's it's gratitude, right? And so ultimately we're becoming more familiar with the voice till ultimately I think we can become at some level the voice, assuming that we know the role of the shepherd. Now, let me just read you the second part of this because I think we begin to learn how this actually looks because Jesus is speaking in real metaphorical ways, but it has really practical, if not impactful, um, implications. He says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and he makes a stark contrast. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The then the wolf attacks, and the flock attacks the flock and scatters it. 
the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. There is a difference between what the shepherd or the owner of the business experiences and a hired hand. You know what the difference is? It's the difference between hired help, working a summer job, versus an owner and a livelihood that they count on it and, and are willing to go at great lengths. You know what else is a difference? Have you ever moved into a rental property? Have you ever bought a rental property? You can always tell who's lived in a house as renters versus who's lived in a house as homeowners. Because when you live in it as a renter, you live in it, but you don't love it. And so things get let go. Things don't get as well taken care of. But when you move in, and if the house has been a rental house for years and years and years, and you move in, there's a lot of fixing up because there's not a lot of maintenance that's been done. But when you own it, you go, no, this is my investment. I want to have a return on my investment. However long I'm here, I want to make this thing better. Have you ever started something from scratch? Have you ever ventured out on your own, outside of the security of the, the big company, and, 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 sort of, and you, you start something from scratch going, I'm leaving some comfort. I'm leaving some familiarity. And you're like, this thing's all dependent on me, right? You look at it different than hired help. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am changes who I am. And when we begin to know the voice and trust the voice, we can then become like the good shepherd and kind of begin to share his voice. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, how does that change who I am? Because his concern becomes comfort, compassion, and hope that I begin to offer. Because now I become the good shepherd, right? And when the Good Shepherd lives in us, we respond to others who are vulnerable, who are in need. We can't ignore maybe um, injustice. We can't ignore the prompt towards compassion. It becomes who we are, meaning we can't not do and not care. Um, this last week, there was this awful earthquake in Italy. It was like 6.2 Imagine 3.30 in the morning getting woken up. I mean, this town, there's close to 300 people that have died and, and still others that are buried in rubble. There was one story that captured me, and Laurel and I talked about this, um, and, and I saw it pop up a couple of times. Maybe you read about it. It's a story of a nine-year-old girl. The nine-year-old girl who in the middle of the night had a three-year-old sister. And as she got out of her bed, and whether it was fear or whether it was instinct. She wrapped herself around her little sister as the home was crumbling. And so for over 15 hours of sitting buried in rubble that only the dogs could smell out, these firemen were just hand by hand trying to remove the rubble. And they reached down and they grab a leg that had grown cold. And it was the nine-year-old sister. Her name uh, was Juliana. But underneath her was her three-year-old sister that was moving, Georgia. And they pull her out. But if it wasn't for the older sister wrapping her in her arms with this kind of shepherding instinct that I am now going to care 
for those who I can care for. I'm going to care for those who are in, within reach. I can't save the whole village. I can't save the whole I can just save one who's within reach. And without thinking twice, grabs the one whom she can, who, the one whom she loves, and wraps her arms around her. And without her covering her, sister would have died as well. What a powerful picture of what it means for us to also become the shepherd. Because we're listening to the voice of the one calling out in the desert saying, Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are needing rest. Come to me who are needy. Come to me, I will give you living water. And we start, and our heart gets reconditioned in new ways. Let me just remind us where we've been. I've been talking about the, the primary theme of Scripture is that we would be one with God. And if you look at the beginning of the Bible, there's all of these covenants that were set up in, in the Old Testament. First with Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And then we go and we see Noah and the covenant or the covenant of the bow or what we know as the rainbow. Uh, and then we see the covenant with Moses and what came through the Ten Commandments. We see the covenant that he established um, with David again and again. But what the problem is, is whenever there was a covenant, it was an animal sacrifice. But the people of God were always failing to maintain covenant relationship with God. And they chose to not be faithful. And the problem with an animal sacrifice, it could never really atone for human sin until ultimately God sends his own son and he wants to establish a new and final once and for all covenant. And he says, this is my son. I'm sending him as the final covenant you'll ever need because his life is without blame. And he's sending him as the bridegroom because we understand what it means to walk in covenant relationship when we say, I do. He's saying, come and have yourself be found in this new relationship because marriage takes on a whole new identity. We get a new name, right? We get, we get a whole new set of resources and Jesus says, all that I have is yours. And all of a sudden we go from making decisions as me to making decisions as we. It is a game changer. It changes our identity. And once our identity begins to change, it changes what we do. We figure out purpose a lot more when we understand identity. Now, despite knowing the voice, transformation and change isn't automatic. And the more we ignore his voice, I think the more it can go away. But the more we seek him, respond to him, the more we're drawn into him. This, this is the transformational process that I think God has invited us all into. So let me just close with reading something that might sound familiar, but it's been a few years. Um, Robert Fulgham wrote the book, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. I thought it was fitting to kind of finished with this today since it's the first week of school and um, it took me back to those early days but um, and in his book he, he remembers playing hide and seek as a boy growing up and he re reflected on that and, and so he says did you ever have a kid in your neighborhood who was who always hid so good that nobody could find him we did after a while we would give up on him and go off leaving him to rot wherever he was and sooner or later he would show up all mad because we didn't keep looking for him 
And we would be mad back because he wasn't playing the game the way it was supposed to be played. There was hiding and there's finding, we'd say. And he'd say it was hide and seek, not hide and give up. And we'd yell about who made the rules and who cared about who anyway. And he wouldn't play with him anymore. And if he didn't get his way straight, uh, who needed him anyway? And things like that. Hide and seek and yell. No matter what, though, the next time he would hide too good again. As I write this, the neighborhood gang goes on, and there's a kid under a pile of leaves in the yard under my window. He's been there for a long time now, and everybody else is found, and they're about to give up on him over at the base. <laughs> I considered going out and just telling him where they were, telling base where he was hiding. Finally, I just got out there and yelled, Get found, kid! out the window. Scared him so bad, probably wet his pants. A man I found, though, found out last year, had found out he had terminal cancer. He was a doctor, and he knew about dying, and he didn't want to make his family and friends suffer through that, through that with him. And so he kept his secret, and he died. And everybody said how brave he was to bear the suffering in silence and not tell anybody, and so on and so forth. But privately, his family and friends said how angry they were with him, and that he didn't need them, that he didn't trust their strength, and it hurt that he didn't say goodbye. He hid too well. Getting found would have helped him in the game. Hide and seek, grown-up style. Waiting to hide, wanting to hide, needing to be sought, confused about being found. <laughs> I don't want anyone to know. What will people think? Oh, I don't want to be a bother. Better than hide and seek, I like the game called sardines. Me too. In sardines, the person who's it goes and hides and everybody goes looking for him. And when you find him, you get in with him and hide there with him. Pretty soon, everybody is hiding together, all stacked in the same place like puppies in a pile. And pretty soon, somebody giggles and somebody laughs and everybody gets found. I think God is a sardine player and will be, and will be found the same way everybody gets found in sardines by the sound of laughter of those heaped together at the end. All yelly oxen free! The kids in the street are hollering. The cry as they come on in wherever you are. It's a new game. And so I say to all of those who have hid too good, get found, kid. All yelly oxen free. I think tonight as we close, I just want to pray with you. And I'm, I'm aware that there's people that are really good at hiding. You fly below the radar, maybe not wanting to be a burden, not wanting to draw too much attention to yourself, maybe share your needs, share your concerns. I get it. There's people that are good at hiding. I think that there are other people that are good at seeking, but maybe you're just tired of seeking and still got questions, still have doubts, still feel some unreconciled things, particularly as it relates to your spiritual life. You're almost ready for the next new thing. And then there's people in here that I think can play the role of what God is calling us into. The ones who stand on the sidelines and watch as there's hiders and there's seekers. And he's saying, show them the way. Be the voice of the one calling them in. And for those who are within reach, whether they're hiding or whether they're seeking, whether they're your next door neighbor or in the next door cubicle, be the one, be the voice of the one who reaches out in need and says, 
There's comfort here. There's help here. There's hope here. So will you pray with me as we close our time? Heavenly Father, I just pause right now and reflect on how you've shepherded my life. And it's with gratitude that I say thank you. Knowing that I, like we, are prone to wander, how you have gone out after each of us as we stray, as we take the scenic route. I also know that sheep bite. Sometimes we're unkind. But I pray that we would be the ones that would hear your voice. So maybe we've never heard your voice, Lord, and I pray that you would speak with greater clarity, with greater revelation. Speak in a way that gives us this moment, this Kairos moment that says, you are present. Pray for those who are seeking tonight. Even if questions remain, I pray that we can just settle in on that you are good and that you do in fact love and let that be enough for today. But help us to learn to trust you. So many voices clamoring. It's so hard to hear your spirit. I pray that we would adopt an ability to hear from you in the most intimate way. Speak with clarity to us. And as we just respond very briefly in this time, I pray that you would now speak to your children, your sheep, and say, We want to hear from you so that we can become like you and mirror.